How is everybody this morning? Good. Everyone online is doing well, hopefully too. But happy new year. It's the new year. It's 2021 now. 2020 is in the rearview mirror. And it's also the 10th day of Christmas. Does anyone remember what, like, the song, the 10th day, like, what's the 10th day? Lord's a leaping. So last time I was talking about releasing some hens on the third day of Christmas. So I contemplated getting 10 lords to be leaping around. Um, but I didn't know exactly what that would look like. So I decided against that as well and figured, all right, we're not going to do that one either. So I have to ask a question. Who has already taken down their Christmas decorations? Hand, but show of hands, who's already taken down? Like it's all boxed up. It's done. You put it back. We got a couple. How many of you, like, you're still rocking it. Everything's up. Like, all right, we got, okay. And how many of you, like, just don't want to be put into a box and didn't want to raise your hand and define yourself in that way as someone that's taken down? Our decorations are still up. Our decorations do not come down until after the 12 days of Christmas and, you know, sometimes even later than based upon scheduling needs. But this year, our Christmas tree, I have a picture of it here for you, it's been, it's been a unique tree because our youngest, Daniel, he's two years old. And if you notice, if you look at this picture, that the ornaments, there are no ornaments on the lower half of the tree. Um, last year, we found like a lot of our ornaments just were disappearing. And we were finding them in the toy buckets later, like broken and damaged. And I was like, no, what's happening? So this year, the rule was like, once the ornament goes on the tree, if we find it off the tree, it's gone. Like we're putting it away. We're not going to put it back on the tree. Like it's just, it's gone. So everything is gone from the lower half of the tree. Like the lights are like pulled off and all sagging down to one side because, you know, it's the tree and he just wants to pull on it and all the ornaments are at the top. And then the lights went out at the top, but apparently power still goes through it. So the star is still lit up. But it's our Christmas tree, and we're, it's still up. We're excited about it. It's still Christmas time. It is still the Christmas season. So last week, we looked at the Sermon on the Mount, at least a part of it. You can find it in Matthews chapters 5, 6, and 7. Uh, Luke has an account of it as well. But we looked at Matthews 5, 6, and 7. And so today, we are going to look at some more of the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5, 6, and 7, a little bit more in Matthew 6. So if you missed last week's sermon, you can always, like, find them all archived at mylpcoli.com. We also have, like, a YouTube channel and podcasts, like, whatever your form of, like, consuming those things is, you can find it. So search for it. And Jim will be back next week in the pulpit. We have the baptism services coming up, and then the following week he'll be starting a new sermon series. Um, But Last week we talked about, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, we were talking about goals because it was the new year was coming, which we are now here in the new year. The new year was coming, and it was kind of a goal for 2021, but in reality it was more of a goal for each and every day. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And that was the driving force of it is that we need to be a people, we need to be those that claim that follow Jesus, that he is our Lord and Savior, and that we are his disciples, that we need to be seeking his kingdom first. We need to be focused on the family business and the mission at hand, regardless of circumstances, and that we need to be seeking his righteousness. We need to be seeking our relationship with him. We need to be promoting his glory, not ours. So today we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. So if you are willing and able, if you'd stand with me for the reading of God's word. It says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. 
Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is God's word. You may be seated. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this time and this opportunity that we have to look at your word. Father, we ask that you teach us and that you help us to become more and more like you. That, Father, that you would search our hearts, that you would reveal our hearts to us, and that you would make us anew, that you would reshape us, remold us, reinvigorate us. Father, that you would empower us for the mission that you have at hand. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, verse 1 is kind of like the theme verse for all these uh, things that we're going to look at the rest of today, because it says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. It starts off right away, beware. Beware. Watch out for. There's, there's, there's danger. There's dangerous situation. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. And danger of what? Of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Your righteousness. Not God's righteousness. Your righteousness. Making ourselves look good. So that way we can be seen by others and we can exalt ourselves a little bit higher. And I think this is this is difficult because this I feel is a very natural state for us as as human beings. We, we want to look good, right? None of us really I think want to look bad. Like when we're getting ready to take like our family photos, right? I don't know how many of you guys take family photos every year, but it's like we can get the family photo. When you get the family photo going, you know you got to get the, your, your nice clothes on. You do your hair nice. You comb it. You maybe use some mousse gel and you get your hair done and you try to get the kids to do the same. And you don't go into that picture being like, I want to wear the rattiest clothing that we have today. Let's make sure everybody's hair is disheveled, you know, just all over the place. Maybe your kids, that's what they want to do, right, when you're trying to get your kids to take the family pictures. But disheveled, and let's just look as, as bad as possible. That's not our default state. Same thing on social media, the things that we post, the image that we want to portray of ourselves. We want to make ourselves look good. We want to make ourselves look good. We, we go with the highlight reel. We want to be impressive. But we need to be promoting His righteousness, His relationship, what He's done, not ours. And so this comes, this is a condition of the heart. It's the way that we operate. It's the way that we perceive things. It's our motivations for what we've done. And he says that if we do this, if we do this to be seen by other men, and that's our motivation for it, you're going to have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. No reward. 
And then so we look at the examples that Jesus talks about here in verse 2. He says this, When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Sound no trumpet. And that's where I go, this, 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 this list, this description is not a checklist. Because, you know, you look at it and be like, well, I've never sounded a trumpet when I've done anything. Check. I'm golden. Sound no trumpet, as the hypocrites do. The word here for hypocrite is like the same word as like an actor. Those that are putting on a show, putting on a performance, trying to make themselves look good. So that they can be praised by others. Sound no trumpet. I don't know if they actually did sound trumpets like when people were giving stuff. But I think about this when you're talking about the idea of promoting yourself and trying to make yourself look good. It's not so much different than today. Because sometimes you can see for, for some people and even for some companies, you can see it. You could even put like donations to charitable things as a line item budget for your PR. How good does it make you look that, oh, you donated so much to charity? makes me look pretty good because I made this huge donation and then I did it because I wanted everyone to think about how amazing I was and how amazing I was. Uh, you know, it was all I could do that I, I only donated a million dollars to this. But, you know, I needed to do something. It's about making me look good. It reminds me of a quote from Star Wars, and uh, I only quote the original series in Star Wars. I don't quote the new stuff. Uh, but in the original in Star Wars New Hope, when they, Luke and Han find themselves on the Death Star and they decide to go after and rescue Princess Leia, Han Solo is in it for the money. He's in it for the reward. And Princess Leia tells him when they're escaping from the Death Star, it says she tells, she tells him, if money is all that you love, then that's what you'll receive. That's what you'll receive. That's what you're going to get. If the fame and the popularity that you want from your giving or your service or whatever it is, if that's what you want, that's what you're going to get. That's what you're going to get. But, but our Heavenly Father says, but not you. But not you. Now, there are a few things I want to point out really quickly here. He says, when you give to the needy. He doesn't say, if you give to the needy or on the occasion in which you happen to give to the needy. But when you give, Jesus is communicating that there is an expectation of this being a regular occurrence. It's like with our children at dinner time. It's not a question of if you are going to eat your vegetables. You are going to get vegetables. Like it's going to happen. When the vegetables are on your plate. So here with giving, if our Father tells us to do it in secret. Here at LifePoint, we have an offering box in the back, and today happens to be the Benevolence Offering Day. There's a separate one. You can sneak off and make your donations at any time during the service, you know, not in front of the eyes of people. But is it possible that some of us maybe wander back to the box when the most people are looking to see us putting our donation in? I don't know. It's the motivation of the heart. 
We don't pass an offering plate here like during the service. I grew up at a church that did that, and I remember as a little kid, I remember I, I didn't know what it was. I thought it was like a garbage bin that they were passing around during the service. So then if you had some garbage, you put garbage in it. So I got in trouble a few times for putting garbage in it um, as it came by, and that's where it's like, hey, that's what I thought. And then as I got older, I remember there were some instances where the plate would come by. And, you know, as the plate's coming by, it was actually a little bag with handles, and you, you handed it down. And I remember being like, other people are watching me. And so what did I do? I wanted to seem holy, and I didn't have any money. And so I took, like, one of the little envelopes to be, like, your donation and the envelopes, and I just took the envelope, I wrote something on it, folded it up, and when it came by, I put it in the bag because I was worried about how it made me look to other people. How did it make me look? And throughout all this... Our Heavenly Father, who sees in secret, is looking for ways to reward you. He's looking for ways to reward you. And it's the same with prayer. I'm going to read uh, a little bit of the message translation, Eugene Peterson, the way he puts it. We're going to back up a little bit and a little bit into giving as well, but into prayer. Just the way he puts it, he says, Be especially careful when you are trying to be good so that you don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. When you do something for someone else, don't call attention to yourself. You've seen them in action, I'm sure. Play actors, I call them. Treating prayer meetings uh, and street uh, corners alike as a stage. Acting compassionate as long as someone is watching. Playing to the crowds. They get applause, true, but that's all they get. When you help someone out, don't think about how it looks. Just do it. Quietly and unobtrusively. That is the way your God, who conceived you in love, working behind the scenes, helps you out. And when you come, uh, and when you come before God, don't turn that into a theatrical production either. All these people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for stardom. Do you think God sits in a box seat? Here's what I want you to do: find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God, and you will begin to sense His grace. You begin to sense His grace. When you, same thing, when you pray, not if, or on the occasion in which you happen to find yourself praying. When you pray. We need to be a people that are in prayer. It's one of those, those, the gifts that God has given us that is, I feel can be somewhat undervalued or underused. The privilege that we have to be able to talk to God, to communicate directly with Him, to bring our, our prayers and our petitions and things and just lay our concerns at the feet of our Lord and Savior. It tells us to find a secluded spot. Jesus, Jesus modeled this so often, finding secluded spots in gardens and hillsides. We see Peter finding rooftops. Finding secluded spots. Because back in the day, to find, as the ESV says, to you know, go into your room and shut the door. Like we have lots of rooms in our houses that have doors that you could shut. But back then, not many uh, rooms in the house actually had a door. Normally, just the store cupboard. To find a secluded spot, so that way we are not tempted to turn it into a show for other people. So does this mean that, like, we shouldn't pray in public? Like, that's a bad thing? Like, no, not at all. 
But it does make you think twice about the words that you're saying and why are you saying them. Once again, it comes back to a heart issue. And I know I don't know if you've been there or if anyone feels like when it's like a prayer meeting time or it's time to pray in life group or, or something of that nature where it seems to be kind of like the awkward silence sometimes where it's like, let's pray. Sometimes you feel like, I oh, mean, I need to use like, there's certain holy words that I have to use. Otherwise, like it's not a good prayer or the longer that the prayer is, you know, it kind of signifies your, your level of holiness. So I need to continue to ramble on a little bit. And then I feel like I'm rambling because I'm just needing to go longer and longer and longer. Your heavenly father knows what you need before you've even asked. You can keep it simple and sweet, short and to the point. when we pray. We didn't read it as part of the initial passage, but also in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, he talks about fasting. He says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and uh, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. He's noticing a theme. When you fast, not if. Not to be seen by others, to be praised by others for our piety and how holy we are is about His righteousness. It's about our relationship with Him, not making us look good. And he goes over some steps there to not broadcast that you're fasting. Because, you know, what is fasting? I feel like giving to the needy is pretty self-explanatory. And prayer time is self But fasting is one of those things that I don't think it's, it's done as often as it used to. Because back in the day, they would fast. They would refrain from eating. They would refrain from washing their clothes and, and doing their hair. And it would be quite obvious when you'd see someone that they were abstaining. They were fasting. And so Jesus is telling him here, when you do that, like don't don't do those other things, like wash your face, do your hair, wear your normal clothes. Because we fast to, to take time to focus on the Lord. Take time to focus on the Lord. Jesus says that um, that He's the bread of life. He's the bread of life, and that man should not leave, live by bread alone, but by the very words of God. So today we take time when we fast to normally replace mealtimes with spending time in the Word, spending time with God, talking to God. And one of the things that I, I have always found <laughs> um, in times when I fast, I don't know about you guys, like if you don't eat for a while, like I get kind of hangry and I'm unpleasant to be around. Um, and this is a normal occurrence when I fast, and that's where I go. One of the things that I've always realized is at the end of at the end of the day, or however long it is, I feel so tired, I feel so drained, and I just want to eat something desperately. I want food. It doesn't matter what it is. I just want food, and I desperately need it. And I'm constantly then reminded of how difficult it was just to go with one day without eating. And I'm regularly accustomed accustomed to eating multiple times a day, to go one day without eating. But how often am I able to go one day or two days or three days with no interaction with God? 
no time in his word, no time speaking to him. How often can I do that? And it's a reminder to me of how doing that, I'm starving myself. Spiritually. Now this list of things of giving to the needy and and prayer and fasting, this is not an an exclusive, uh, exhaustive list. It's not an exhaustive list. We can do this. We can make anything about ourselves. We can make any level of service or things that we're doing about us, not God. I feel that these ones are highlighted as ones that it's better for you to do in secret because if it's not done in secret, there are things that you will very easily want to make not about God. Whether that's our service in Sunday school or our interactions with our coworkers, the things that we say, the things that we do. Once again, it comes down to an issue of the heart. Where are our hearts at? Are we about His righteousness or are we about our righteousness? And this is a tension that is played out uh, all the time, and it's going to be played out in our faith. If you turn your Bibles back to Matthew chapter 5 and look at verse, uh, verse 14, he says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It's very clear here in Jesus' words that the things that we do for God, the things that we do, the works, the good works, our faith played out in action. The world is going to see those things. And as I was reading through this over, it's one of the things where I go, well, there's, so there's things that we should be doing that are out in public, and there are things that, you know, the Lord says maybe we should be doing in private. Um, so, like, wh- what, which are those things? Like, what is that dynamic? How does that work? And that comes back to the, your heart motivation. Are we doing it for His righteousness or for ours? And one thing that I find very interesting is that God is going to accomplish His purposes. The success or failure of His mission, which He's not going to fail, is not dependent upon the status of where your heart was at during your service. Paul talks about it to the Philippian church in chapter 1, that some people preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, out of pretense and not truth. They do it for improper motives, but at the same time, His importance is that The gospel is preached regardless of the motives of the person that was speaking it. God's still going to use it. Same thing with your service and the acts and the things that you're doing, the service products that we do and the way that we act. God's still going to use those things. But depending on where our heart's at, whether or not you receive your reward now of looking pious or your reward later, you can only have one. can only have one. And later on in chapter 6, Jesus talks about storing up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy and thieves don't break in and steal. Our Heavenly Father wants us to be storing up our treasures there, our rewards there, not focused on our righteousness and how good it makes us look. And it is for our greatest good, it is in our best interest to be focused on God's righteousness, 
on his relationship and glorifying him. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't mention this one thing, because there's another repeated phrase in these verses that really just stood out to me as I was reading it, too. I don't know if maybe you guys caught it. The end of verse 4, it says, And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The end of verse 6, And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And the end of verse 18, And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And as I read read these words, and these words were ringing through my ears, this was an unbelievably guilty feeling for me, especially having gone through and reading this. If we backed up in chapter 5, Jesus has just gotten done explaining to his disciples that if you have had anger in your heart towards your brother, it's the same as you having murdered him. Now, I haven't murdered anybody, but have I been angry? towards people. Yes. It's a very guilty feeling. He talks about lust. He says, if you've looked at a woman with lustful intent, it's the same as having committed adultery with her. Now, have I actually committed adultery with anyone? No. My wife's here. She's good to hear, happy to hear that during this service. But have I ever looked at a woman with lustful intent? Yes. Yes, I have. And so here Jesus is, is, is taking these examples and talking about these things, and he's taking the commandments and things of the Old Testament and taking them to a new level and reminding us that God is looking at the heart. He's looking at the heart of it. And this is an unbelievably guilty feeling. And as I, as I hear this repeated phrase, your father who sees in secret, your father who sees in secret, your father who sees in secret, will reward you. Because there's an awesomeness of God that is revealed in His actions in our secretivenessness. I don't know if that's a word. Just made it up. Because here, God, as if it wasn't enough, as if it wasn't enough that God Himself was able to forgive our sins, forgive our rebellion against Him, and allow us to become adopted sons and daughters of him and his kingdom, heirs, heirs to the family business. If the mercy and the grace that has been poured out and lavished upon us as he has sought after us wasn't enough, if the love that he he showed for us in the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ on the cross, was not enough to be saved from your sins, to be able to have eternity spent with him in heaven, to live a relationship with God, the creator of the universe, the creator of all things. If if that wasn't enough, your heavenly Father, who sees in secret, is looking for ways to reward you. He's not lurking in the shadows, looking for some way how you're going to blow it and you're going to make a mistake, and then he can just punish you some more or will be happy in his withholding of his rewards. I don't have to give it to you in any way. But our Heavenly Father, who knows all the things that we've done, and we confess those things to him when we do, he knows all of them anyway. He knew we were going to do them when he died for us on the cross. Our Father who sees in secret is looking for ways to reward you. 
We serve an amazing God where it needs to be all about his righteousness. It needs to be all about him. Paul talks about how I need to decrease and he needs to increase. It needs to be more and more about him and less and less about me. That is the God that we serve. And the great part about this and the great opportunity about this is that even when we struggle with this, when we have difficulties with this, when we find out that what we've been doing and we've self-checked our motivations and the Holy Spirit has revealed it to us inside that our motives are not pure, we're going to have more opportunities to do it. We're going to have more opportunities. This is the God that we serve. And maybe you're here today and you don't know this God. You haven't met him. You don't know him. You want to know him. It would be the deepest desperate cry of our hearts that you would know him today. That you would join into his family and accept his offer of love and grace and mercy accomplished through what Jesus did on the cross, dying for your sins, paying the penalty for it, lavishing that upon you, offering it to you as a free gift. He's chasing you. He's pursuing you. He wants you. Maybe you, you'd you come to know him. Maybe you'd come to be baptized next week. You can fill out the little forms online or, or um, the ones you have in your, in your bulletins. So we're having a baptism service next week. But this is the God we serve. Is it about our righteousness or is it about his? Because that's what our lives need to be about is his righteousness, not ours that our rewards will be stored for us in heaven, not making ourselves look good now for all that we have to do and all that is in store for us here this next year. It's about His righteousness, not ours. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for today. I thank You for these words that you've given to us, the words that you've spoken to us, Father, even words that are difficult, even words that are convicting, Father, words that are challenging, ones that that are a difficult process for us. Father, we naturally want life to be about us. It's a kind of our default state is that life is about me. But, Father, life is about you. Life is so much more, more than food, so much more than clothing so much more than the things that we pursue. Father, we ask that you help us to be a people that pursue you and that make our lives about your righteousness and your greatness and your glory each and every day in everything that we do. Father, if there are impure ways in our motives, reveal those to us. Help us to correct them. Help us to make it about you. Father, we thank you that you've given given this gift to us. And Father, that you've done the heavy lifting in the relationship, that you've said, I love you first to us. And Father, I ask that you would help us with this, not just this next year, but every day and every day to come. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.